0: this is Reset. I'm Sasha Ann Simons. As we've discussed on this show, mental health needs have increased during the pandemic, and workers are struggling to keep up with the demand. That's partly why more people are turning to mental health apps and meeting with their therapist online. Some experts say those services are here to stay. But how effective are these resources? And how do you know which one works best for you? Later, we'll hear from an We'll hear about an app from the University of Illinois, Chicago, that's designed to help people track their changes in mood. But first, joining us now are two experts on mental wellness apps. Stephen Schuler is an associate professor of psychological science at the University of California, Irvine, and the executive director of One Mind Cyberguide. Hi, Professor. Welcome to the show. Happy to be here. Also with us is Dr. John Torres. He's the director of digital psychiatry at Beth Israel Deaconess Medical Center, and creator of Mind Apps. Hi, Dr. Torres.
1: Thank you for having me.
0: Professor Schuler. you know, you both actually review mental health apps to, to help people make informed decisions about what kind of service or product they're using. But, Professor, can you give us a sense of the number and the variety of apps that there are out there that exist?
2: Yeah, there's a lot of them. So estimates suggest there's like 10 to 20,000, and there really are a lot of different types. Um, there are a very few that have gone under um, federal review and regulation. The FDA has cleared a couple of these products, but the majority of them, especially ones that are kind of focused on general wellness and well-being, Happiness, focus, productivity, you know, making all these promises um, are not going under any evaluation or review and are really um, just out there for consumers to try to make their way through the mess that's out
0: there. Yeah. How many people are using these apps? And are they using them for a while or do they kind of break away from the app pretty quickly?
2: I think it's really hard to tell. I mean, there was a survey of youth, um, 14 to 22, that found among those youth, about 70% of them had used a health app. And many of those health apps were for mental health issues, for stress, anxiety, substance use, and using types of apps like meditation. Um, I think that what we find is a lot of people will download it. um, Well, a lot of people download them and never open them. But even those who do maybe will stick with it for like a week or two and then will often not persist after that. So I think a lot of people are kind of exploring using these things as a way to kind of dip their toes into what's out there, Mm -hmm. but not really
1: sticking with them long term.
0: Dr. Torres, what does your research show about how effective the apps are?
1: So it's a really good question because clearly you want to use an app that's going to make you feel better. Yeah. It's the most important thing. And what we found is clearly in mental health, there's a little bit of a placebo effect in different treatments that we have. And what we found is a lot of the apps, people will begin to feel better. But sometimes if they're using a sham app, an app that actually doesn't have any active therapy in it, It may be as good. So there's some research that says a Tetris app for some people could be as good as a mindfulness app. Could a digital alarm clock that's interactive be as good as a complex therapy app? We don't know. But the point being, we really want to ask. You want very high-quality research, the same you would ask for a drug or new therapy, because we want to make sure it works and you're not using a, a placebo.
0: Yeah. There's been a boom in telehealth startups that these that quick, accessible uh, routes to, you know, mental health. And many people have met with their therapist virtually during the pandemic. What do you see as the pros and cons of telehealth in the mental wellness space, Dr. Torres?
1: So I think telehealth, when you're doing a visit with your therapist or your psychiatrist in real time, there's Great evidence that it works nearly or actually as well as kind of being in person. Some people probably have a personal preference. But those video visits or even if you're doing phone calls, I said, can be very effective and they're likely here to stay. And certainly if you don't have to commute, it can be an advantage. and may even reduce some stress.
0: Uh, Cerebral Inc., uh, that's one telehealth startup that, you know, it got really popular after advertising on social media platforms like TikTok. And, and Instagram, but the company's now under federal investigation for allegedly prescribing medications for uh, attention deficit hyperactivity disorder too readily. So, Professor Schuler, what does this say to you about the the regulation of these types of services?
2: Well, I think one challenge with regulation in any space is it's really hard to keep up with the technologies. I think that we see a lot of innovation, we see a lot of growth, we see a lot of people, you know, trying new things and. Um, it's really tra- challenging to, for regulators to keep up with that. And I think that, you know, this space, um, mental health is a, it's a sensitive topic. It's an important topic. Um, when people are going through mental health challenges, they're often at some points where they're the most vulnerable and most in need. And I think it really just calls out the need for um, regulators, lawmakers, policymakers to really pay close attention and get educated about this space so that we can have proper regulation.
0: One study found that uh, certain vulnerable populations are less likely to access mental health treatment online, Professor. Uh, This includes Black and Latino patients, individuals who live alone, uh, also low-income people. What do you think on how we can address those kinds of discrepancies in access?
2: I think a major challenge is that um, a lot of these products have not been developed with those different populations in mind. I actually was a faculty at Northwestern for a couple years and did some work with um, some homeless shelter networks there to try to think about designing tools and resources specifically for um, young adults experiencing homelessness. And it's hard work, and companies are not terribly incentivized to do that hard work. So I think that we need to Um, ensure that companies are incentivized to really do work that reaches diverse and underserved, traditionally marginalized populations, and I think really be willing to do the hard work that it takes to develop products and resources and services that meet their needs.
0: So, Dr. Torres, what's your advice then for, for people trying to find a mental health app or a telehealth service that works for them?
1: So I think, as Dr. Schuler said, there's a lot of them out there, so you can be a picky consumer. And I'll let Dr. Schuler talk about CyberGuide, which is one resource he has. We've built a website called mindapps.org, for support from the Argosy Foundation. And we have about 600 mental health apps, and they're rated across 100 condition, 100 features, like does it have a privacy policy? Is it free? Does it offer this type of therapy? Does it offer this type of therapy? And you don't need to answer all 100 questions, but the idea is... Maybe it makes more sense to look for an app by asking what's important to you, say it's available in Spanish, and going to the iTunes store and saying, what app shows up first? You don't want to pick a therapist, a medication based on what's popular. So maybe, again, interactive databases like MindApps can help people make a little bit more of an informed decision.
0: Mm-hmm. Something we're curious about here on Team Reset, Dr. Torres, can, can psychologists legally provide virtual services regardless of where the patients are?
1: So it's it's a good question of kind of if I'm based, say, in New Orleans right now and I'm seeing someone else who say, is in California, a lot of the regulations are changing week by week. And it's, a, it's in some ways a power struggle between each state and the federal government mm-hmm. on who has jurisdiction. But a lot of those temporary things where a therapist or psychiatrist could see someone in a different location out of state, they're almost effectively gone. So we're kind of back close to a pre-pandemic restriction on when a therapist can see you based on location.
0: Professor Schuler, on this show, we've also talked about the the shortage of mental health workers and the long wait lists that some psychologists are seeing. How much of a lift are these apps and and services providing?
2: You know, I I still think we see long wait lists. I think that these services, they're not replacements for traditional therapists. Um, Also, you know, a lot of people are not aware of them. So I think that we're, we're not seeing a dent yet in terms of reducing wait times or really expanding services um, greatly to those in need. So I think that there's a lot more work that needs to be done, um, A, to figure out which of these tools are actually effective. Um, you know, both I and Dr. Charles have talked about the challenge of so many apps and so little evidence. Mm-hmm. And B, to make sure that um, consumers are aware of those tools that are effective and um, how they might get access to them.
0: Well, I think Dr. Torres says yes, but uh, Professor, leave us with this. What what are your thoughts? Is telemedicine for mental health here to stay?
2: hundred percent. We're not going back to what it was pre-pandemic. I think a lot of people have seen the benefits, the convenience, um, the way it can fit better into their lives or their practice if they're providers. I think we just have to figure out the ways to make it work for people, both consumers as well as professionals.
0: You're listening to Reset. I'm Sasha Ann Simons. We're talking about How effective online therapy and mental wellness apps are? We've been speaking with experts Stephen Schuler and Dr. John Torres. Thank you both for your time. Let's turn now to a Chicago psychiatrist and neuroscientist who's working on a phone app designed to predict bipolar episodes. It's called BiEffect. Dr. Alex Liao is the lead researcher of the study. She's also an associate professor in psychiatry and bioengineering at University of Illinois, Chicago. Dr. Liao, welcome to the show.
3: Thank you for having me.
0: What are your thoughts on on how effective mental health apps and online therapy is?
3: Yes, that's a great question. So first I want to really highlight the amount of mental health apps out there right now. Mm So in 2021, the American Psychological Association published a report. And in that report, they estimated that there were somewhere around 10,000 to 20,000 mental health apps. Wow, so that's I a lot. I know. So I wouldn't be surprised if by now it's really uh, closer to 20,000 or even more. Now, of course, if we look at these 20,000 apps out there, they can do very different things. For example, as you were saying, uh, there are apps that deliver interventions such as CBT or cognitive behavioral therapy yeah. or guided meditation. And there are also apps that connect users to, uh, say, mental health providers. And, of course, there are mood tracking apps that provide Psychoeducation and also ways of self-monitoring uh, usually using daily ratings or questionnaires or journaling. Yeah. Um, well, I think the question of how how um, how much uh, efficacy we're looking at, we have to be very clear uh, what function the app is serving for the user. But in terms of the interventions you talked about earlier. Um, I think it's a matter of perspective and coming back to what uh, Dr. Torres and Dr. Schuller were talking about. um, And a lot more really needs to be done to understand what is working and what doesn't work. If we use the popular app um, Headspace as an example, so as of today on the App Store, Headspace is rated 4.9 out of 5 from almost 900,000 users. Which and is that's a very high rating. A... Yeah, Exactly. So it must be doing something right, right? On the other hand, it's a completely different story when scientists try to quantify the benefit of these apps using more rigorous uh, research methodology. In fact, according to a meta-review article that was published earlier this year, and I believe Dr. Torres was actually a co-author on that paper. Mm-hmm. They looked into about 145 studies of app-delivered interventions, and they actually conclude that they can find a strong evidence to support smartphone-based intervention. I see. And I think part of the yes, um, I think part of the problem is that it is really hard. design a good study to understand the efficacy of these apps compared to, say, more traditional in-person interventions, when every component and every parameter of the intervention can be controlled and can be measured. So bottom line is a lot more needs to be done.
0: Well, let's talk about your app. You you started effect several years ago. You came up with the idea while actually playing the piano one day. Tell us about the study and how the app actually works.
3: Absolutely. Uh, And first, I want to emphasize that um, Baya Affect is a research app. It's not a commercial app. So the idea is to really crowdsource research data from what we call citizen scientists. And by citizen scientists, I mean that any adult in the U.S. can become a participant, participant of the study by simply downloading the free and freely available app on App Store, then they can learn about the study, and they can enroll in the study in about 15 minutes at home. So the genesis of the study was really, as we were talking about playing piano, uh, was back in 2015. And if we remember, that's when news trackers such as Fitbit and Apple Watch became more and more popular. Yes. So as a psychiatrist, I ask myself, if we can do this for the human body, why can't we do this for the human brain? Why can't we have a fitness tracker for the human brain? But how are we going to make a brain fitness tracker? So uh, since I've always been playing the piano my entire life Mm -hmm. outside of work, and I'm always noticing that how well I can play the piano, is linked to my mood and my concentration for that day. So one day as I was playing the piano, I realized that we should, of course, look into the keyboard on our smartphone.
0: Interesting. Interesting. And how many people have used your app?
3: um, So as of now, we have enrolled about... um, 2000 study participants or citizen scientists, as I mentioned earlier. Are they finding and it helpful? Have... Um, so, again, um, this is not necessarily an intervention, it's more of a research study, and I can definitely uh, talk about this sort of the major findings uh, from our study. Sure. Go ahead. Um, um, so, the intuition of looking at A keyboard of a smartphone is that imagine as I'm talking to you right now, I also start texting a friend of mine at the same time. And since my attention is divided, I will be making a lot of typos. My typing rhythm is going to be variable. And if I'm noticing my typos, I'll be using the backspace to correct my typos. So uh, we decided to basically make our own smartphone keyboard. And we put this keyboard on the app store for everyone to use. So every time you are texting someone or writing an email or posting on social media, the timing of each press is saved. So we can essentially use mathematical models to understand a person's neuropsychological state without actually having to talk to a person. Mm -hmm. And I'm going to highlight a few findings from a study that we published a few years ago. And it's in particular about how a person types uh, changes as we get older, or when we are depressed. So, the first thing we notice is that we have our best typing performance a couple of hours after we wake up in the morning. Yeah. And so usually after a cup of coffee. And this typing performance, once it reaches its peak, it starts to fluctuate and gradually drops towards the end of the day. So, what we're seeing in our older citizen scientists is that they Tend to type slower, which yeah. makes a lot of sense. It does. But this typing performance fluctuation that I talked about earlier is also more pronounced as you get
0: older. By effect. Very interesting. That's uh, Dr. Alex Liao. We'll have to leave it there. She's a lead researcher of the study and phone app By Effect. She's also an associate professor in psychiatry and bioengineering at University of Illinois, Chicago. Doctor Liao, thank you so much for your time.
3: Thanks for having me.